Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today my guests are Bruce McCullough of The Kids in the Hall and Vance Bonzo of Tall Boys. I think these guys are both extremely funny, and I think Bruce McCullough is actually a comic genius. Um, Bonzo may be one too, but I think we should give him time to develop without that kind of pressure um, early in his career. He's like in his 20s. Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess that if you're listening to this, you, like me, are very familiar with Kids in the Hall and maybe didn't know about Tall Boys before this podcast. That's okay, because also, if you're like me, good news, you're going to end up liking both groups. Bruce McCullough is, of course, one of the founding members of the Kids in the Hall, the Canadian comedy quintet whose show of the same name aired in the late 80s and early 90s and had an incredible influence on anyone who cares about sketch comedy and an especially big influence on me and a couple of my high school friends who have quoted it constantly ever since. He's also a writer, director, and producer who has helped introduce the world to Tallboys, a very funny, very diverse Canadian comedy group that also has a TV show of the same name, executive produced by McCullough. This is an exciting time because Kids in the Hall are back on Amazon with a new series available now, and Tallboys are just now reaching American audiences for the first time on Fuse TV and Fuse Plus after previously airing on Canada's CBC. The way this episode is going to work is that first I talk with McCullough, and then through the magic of Zoom, we're joined by Vance Bonzo. He and his fellow tall boys, Gulad Abdi, Tim Blair, and Frank Unwin, prove on their show that it's still very possible to make biting, provocative, very thoughtful comedy in 2022, no matter what anyone tells you. This interview begins with me worshipfully telling Bruce McCullough about the couple of times we met before, years ago. Here are Bruce McCullough and Vance Bonzo. Yeah, so I was saying before we started recording, um, I met you once at Bristol Farms in West Hollywood in 2005, and I think I said, oh my God, you're Bruce McCullough, and I was kind of at a low point in my life, and you said, and who are you? And I said, I- I'm, I'm no one, I'm just a person. You said, no, you're still a person, and you have a name. <laughs> hey, <laughs> so, the old me makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then you met my dog, and you're very nice to my dog, so you... Uh, it's one of those things where like, if you meet somebody whose work you love and you're one of those people um, and they're a jerk, it kind of haunts it. And it, it made the work so much better and richer and more enjoyable for me. So thanks for being cool. Well, thank you for being kind yourself. <laughs> um, I thought we could, before we get into Tall Boys, before we get into Kids in the Hall coming back and everything, I wanted to ask you about something in your book um, that I just think is so brilliant. and I. I wanted to just get your thoughts on it. You wrote, the pornography we make as an act of freedom in our youth can become shackles of shame in our old age. So be careful with that camcorder. <laughs> Why yeah. did you tell people that? Well, uh, listen, I uh, believe it or not, I mean, I do have a freaky brain, but I've never recorded any pornography myself. But I think it's that the things that we dive into when we're young, we don't, we don't see the opportunity cost that we'll have to pay possibly when we're older. So it's a cautionary tale about grabbing your life when you're young, because you're going to maybe have to pay for it later. Do you feel like that ever happened with you? No, it was, well, no, my, my younger self probably was quick to anger Mm -hmm. in terms of work or things like that. And I think the old me and the sort of the one person show I'm doing now, I'm doing it in New York for a couple of weeks is really about um, humanity. Mm-hmm. quite frankly, which is not what comedians should be talking about. But at this moment, it's, it's quite nice too. So I think that, I think that would, was kind of my journey. Yeah. How much comedy 
for you personally and in general, do you think is driven by anger? Well, I don't know if it's anger. It's all the negative things. I mean, we're always talking about shame. My record was shame-based man. It's, we're all dealing with the pain of our childhoods and our drunk dads and our girlfriends that disappointed us or we disappointed them. So I think it's, I don't know if it's anger as much as negative stuff, which is also anxiety, um, feeling of not being good enough, uh, wanting to fit in if you're Scott Thompson, all that stuff. Yeah. And you kind of mind the difficult and the complicated and try to make it funny. Yeah, well, it is funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing I always liked about everything you've done is there's kind of a sense of grotesquerie that I enjoyed um, and just kind of confronting the grotesque. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember Chicken Lady made me super uncomfortable. Um, cabbage Head always kind of made me uncomfortable, but it also made me happy to be confronting something a little uncomfortable. Yeah, Cabbage Head always made me uncomfortable too. Like, who is that guy? Why did you want to do it? You know, I actually, I, I, I wrote it. It's, it's actually a feminist treatise, quite honestly. I wrote it because I remember my uh, girlfriend at the time um, couldn't go to a restaurant without getting hit on by assholes. And it was just like, somehow that became Cabbage Head. A guy is trying to sleep with her and get a mercy fuck because, you know, just women wouldn't, that was in the old days, we could go up to a woman or send her a drink or something like that. Um, so I, I think it was that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the problem never really got fixed. <laughs> no. Well, you know, now 30% of, of, of young people think buying a woman a, or offering to buy a person a drink is, is inappropriate. Um, yeah. So, but it's times have changed, but you know, those guys are still out there. That's for sure. You know? Wow. Um, one thing I'm like afraid to ask about, so I should probably just ask about it is, uh, the other time I sort of met you, I was in college. It was in 1996 and I was going to UC Santa Barbara and they had us come down for like a junket for brain candy. Yeah. Um, and my friends and I, who were gigantic kids in the hall fans were like, this is going to be our big trip to LA. We went to LA. We went to the Paramount lot. We watched the movie. We loved the movie. We loved you guys and everything you did. And my friend Noah, the very first question anybody asked at the conference, at the news conference was, cancer boy what were you guys thinking and then the second question was like okay but seriously what was up with cancer boy and then i think the third question was what was up with cancer boy and it started to feel like a pile on and i start i felt bad to be there um right because i wasn't really bothered by cancer boy i think i got what you were doing but that seemed like that maybe the start was that the start of the pile on and everything bad happening with cancer boy because i know that paramount didn't really back the movie because you didn't want to bail on Cancer Boy. You would fought to keep Cancer Boy in the movie. There was probably some tension with other members of the group. Well, no, I, I fought because I was told to by my, by my punk ethic that I have to fight for my work. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Cancer Boy was all, see for me, like I always see the humanity in all these things. I, I was imagining a, a kid who had cancer who was in remission and now Wayne Gretzky wasn't gonna come visit him. Not a real story, just a thing. And so the humanity of that, you know, we didn't, you know, in our new series, we didn't do Cancer Boy, but I think Cancer Boy is still alive. Like, so I think I, I see only humanity for those, for those, you know, those children who are, be, you know, befallen that and they've got better spirits than people who seemingly have everything. That was the point with it. But 
Um, you know, and when we, when we do a brain candy screening or we do a, sometimes we do stage readings with music, people go insane for it. And so, yeah, it was what we do, like as the kids in the hall, not very smart ethic, you know, we just fought, we won the battle and maybe lost the war, but you know, I, I'm happier that I did Cancer Boy than I didn't. Yeah, I saw an interview from a year ago where you said he's your favorite character in the movie. Mm-hmm, yeah. A lot of it seems to be what the intent of the joke is. I mean, the joke is not making fun of Cancer Boy in any way. Of course not. And all, the, and we never, like when people say, what are your targets? We have no targets. <laughs> We're our targets. You know, people we see around us, they're, they're not targets. We're just all human people. Even the little guy who I went to, I went to bartending school for you. You know, it's like just the little, little guy want, having to fight. Like we're not, there's no target. The targets are us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you look back on where you're like, oh, that didn't age that well, or that did age really well? I mean, I think Cabbage Head did age pretty well. Well, yeah, I wouldn't do it now just because I've done it. And that guy would just be using the same lines every time anyway. So it would be the same scene. Um, you know, I mean, running F word is a bit of a complicated thing, you know, and written because that was the word that that was hurled at me from every truck when I was growing up because I didn't, you know, didn't look like everybody else, meaning I looked pretty cool. Um, and our, our documentary actually that's coming out on Amazon um, does a really good job of walking us through what that word meant and how certainly Scott is allowed to use it um, and how it's changed over time. So that's not a regret. I think like that was, he was a folk hero, but I, I, I don't think I would do that scene now, you know? The, for anybody, who has gotten this far and somehow doesn't know what the word is. It's the homophobic slur that starts with F. Um, yeah, how, how has the meaning of that changed? Because I just, I have to say, when I was a fan of you guys in the 80s, when I was like 13 and 14, having to, then this is ridiculous, and this is like how much times have changed, having to like defend liking kids in the hall because of all my friends who would say, oh, those guys dress up as girls, they're gay. And, you know, the dumbest, thing to have to defend um but i noticed that a lot of the questions that you guys do get are why did you dress up as women um did you take a lot of heat at the time i mean was there a lot did you feel like a target of homophobia even though you're not gay um not really i mean i felt like because i'm not gay it's actually stronger that i could kiss scott thompson on the lips in the height of aids paranoia yeah. Um, and dressing as women was just natural for us as we were playing our girlfriends who we disappointed or I played my sister who's Kathy. Um, so it just, I don't think we took a lot of heat. It was, it didn't seem like a thing. And then when we first started doing press, people go, tell me about the drag. It's like, I don't know if it's drag. I guess it's drag. Yeah. It's drag. We're just dressing up as women. Like, and so it, they're just characters. So it, it, we never even thought about it really. Um, and you know, it's, it's different with time, but we play women in the series. We're older women, <laughs> but we play it. Um, another thing that kind of haunts me because I'm 46 now is, you know, he's hip, he's cool, he's 45. Yeah. And I'm much less cool than that guy. Um, <laughs> how did you feel about that character as you turned 45? And how do you feel looking back at him now that he's 45 is younger? 
as a well, he still seems older than me in my mind, right? That's the, you know whatever age dysmorphia. Um, well, I, that was just a kind of on-trend on asshole I think I'd seen around in a way, or I was a bit of, or someone was a bit of. So I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's it's funny. It's not one people ask me about. I, we thought of doing. He's he's hip. He's cool. He's fifty-five for this thing, but it's like no, no, we're actually sixties. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> I probably should have done he's hip, he's cool, he's 65. Well, I don't know. My 17-year-old friends thought that was absolutely amazing. And we did kind of, in a weird way, look up to that guy because we did think he was sort of hip and cool. I mean, Yuppies had a really big moment in like the late 80s, 30-something yeah. and such. Like that guy who's like smoking weed with his son and has a mistress and his wife is cool with it. Like that was probably cool to us in our... In yeah, our and I, maybe even a, that was even a little ahead of its time somehow. I think, I don't know. Um, so what made you want to get into directing? What made you want to, I mean, it sounds like as a writer, you were really into fighting for your ideas. As a performer, you were really into fighting for your ideas and maybe directors have more control. Well, it was actually um, the, the, work, the work man in me. You know, I, I would watch the show and the other four were really good. And then there was this guy with a bobbling head and twitchy hands that was me. And I never thought I was a very good performer. And I thought, I, I don't want to go on and be in a fucking sitcom or I, I, this is it. I want to, and I've always been into all of it, like how the music worked, what the angle was, what the set dressing was. And so it was sort of natural that if I needed to pick a job for myself after the show was over, that that was a good one. And it was exactly a great training ground to be do indulgent little films. Um, so, yeah, and I, I had such a complicated relationship with it because I did, you know, a couple of good films and one that didn't work so well. But then in the last few years, you know, I did Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Shits and Creek and especially Tall Boys. It's like, oh, I love directing, you know? Um, but I didn't quite get it. I don't know if I was good at it for a while, quite honestly. When did you start to feel good at it? Or when did you feel like you became good at it what happened I think when I came back and I did a show here called Young Drunk Punk that I was also in with my actual wife I just thought oh wow I really loved this you know and I did the trailer park boys and I just and I did Schitt's Creek and I just started having so much fun and Brooklyn Nine-Nine it was all like yeah this is fun um because I think as a young man you have so many there's so many flies in your head and then as you get older you just go oh that'd be cooler if you come in a little faster you know um, and so I think I didn't have to prove that I knew what I was doing. I just actually kind of knew what I was doing and it was easier and fun. Well, was it nice after being in a democracy with four other guys where you kind of had to fight for every idea to just be able to say, no, no, this is my decision. You're going to come in faster. Yeah. Um, but you're always just people making it up. If I'm doing superstar. It's me and Will Ferrell or Molly are trying to figure out what's better. So I, I don't know if it's about being boss. Um, mm -hmm. It's also nice to be in the troop because you always have other people to to share the load and the and and the failure and the success. Um, and sometimes it's weird being in the group. You can be more like yourself than you can when you're off doing Dog Park, my first scene film or something. I don't know. It's all complicated. Is that because of the hyper pressure of having everybody look to you for an answer and just kind of having to be? I think people sort of expect directors to be perfect. Well, not even that. Sometimes people's solo albums aren't as, you know, if you look, the, the singer's solo album isn't as good as the band's record because they all fit in in a different way. Um, and I, I don't know. 
I think it's, yeah, when you're young and you think all the pressure's on you, you're probably not as good as when you're just kind of moving through it and, and making decisions kind of, you know, instinctively. Well, going back to the punk ethic, I mean, punk is kind of rebellion and standing up to authority. And then when you become the authority, that must be a little tricky. Yeah, but I'm not really authority. I still don't feel like I'm authority. I'm still like going to Amazon. Why do I have to do that? I don't want to go there. Um, so, you know, I think that's the important thing. We've never felt like I, we ran the world in any way, you know, and even if you, I, when I was doing carpoolers at ABC, it's still like, I'm still the little weird guy that is trying to get my show through or, or whatever. So it never goes away. It literally never goes away. So even when you're a director of the film or the executive producer of Tall Boys, you're, or, you know, calling the shots on Kids in the Hall coming back you're always kind of looking at who is the the actual boss well it's different per thing actually tall boys is one of the greatest situations of my life because they're amazing and you know i i'm allowed to do what i want um you know from cbc and people like that they they they're confident in me now and they're just like oh if you want to do that that's cool and so um i'm not i'm not always fighting the authority but i'm i think it's you know Amazon's probably a little tougher on us than certainly CBC was on Tall Boys. You know, just like we got a lot of people to think about. We don't want you guys to do anything out of line. And, you know, Tall Boys is because it's an amazing young BIPOC show. They have their own voice and they really can't be censored because <laughs> they're they're the truth, right? They're the truth of their lives. So so that's that's why it's 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 great. Well, if they make like a racial joke like they often do they could say, look, this is my lived experience and this is what I'm making a joke about. You can't really question me on that. But if, you know, and not that, I don't think kids really make a lot of racial jokes, um, but I can think of, but if you did, it would be a different thing. Yeah, and we, yeah, of course, we don't, we do different things for sure, yeah. What do you think, and I, I feel like this is almost a hacky question, so I'm sorry. And I'm not yeah. saying the other ones aren't hacky, but um, when you hear people say comedy has gotten so hard because people are so sensitive, do you buy that or does it sound like bullshit or does it seem like the fact that people might be more sensitive is good for comedy? Well, I think the, the fact that people might be more sensitive is good for the world. I do like mostly the change in the world and that, you know, when I worked with tall boys, it's like, when are you guys going to fight with each other? Aren't you at each other's throats all the time? And so I, I love that there's a kindness in the world that has to, attention must be paid to the kindness of the world. I love that. Um, it can get trickier when you're doing stuff that's more nuanced or satirical um, that is you're on the you're on the right side but if people you know have a knee-jerk reaction they, they could think you're not so but i think i think we're kind of grandfathered in because we've been at this a long time and we're we're clearly not in it for the money or the fame or any anything other than the love of games and we and we fiercely want to you know, protect the outsiders. I'm all about, we're all outsiders. I love, we're, you know, so I say in my one person show, outsiders, there sure are a lot of us. And <laughs> so that's, you know, that's our thing. That's my thing. Yeah. What is the stuff that Amazon has been hesitant about? Well, they just, if we just certain buzzwords that they're worried or phrases or, or things, you know, there's always some, some of that in every, Thing you make um 
but mostly we've gotten through all the stuff we need, we've needed to get through. You know, they're just a cautious large company, which is a bit different than, you know, putting your record out on your own. Yeah. Are they, is it Buddy Cole? Like what's? <laughs> uh, some of that, but no, there's Buddy Coles there. And, you know, it's, it's that sort of stuff. Yeah. Just what we're talking about. I remember seeing a Scott Thompson interview where it was you and Scott Thompson, actually, um, where he talked about how you wrote a really good Buddy Cole. And he said, I'm not going to use this. I'm going to mine this for jokes, but I'm not doing a Buddy Cole that you wrote. Um, how conscious of you are, like, who's allowed to tell a joke? Well, for me, a, a joke's a piece of meat. You know, anybody, you know, except a vegetarian would, would <laughs> want it. You know, I, I didn't get it then. I was just wrote him some really good jokes. And buddy was his thing that was his it was that was his muse that was his thing and of course I, he should be writing his thing but it's fun to help scott because sometimes he doesn't he he puts two in when he needs you know one or something and so but i get it i get that i shouldn't be trying to write a monologue i was just trying to i think i was in a hot streak and i was trying to show off wait you shouldn't be writing a monologue at all or you shouldn't because you mean a no, i should be writing a monologue for scott thompson as buddy cole i don't think right, right. Yeah. okay <laughs> Um, how did you guys obviously after brain candy there was kind of a few years that you were all apart and then you came back together and now you're you know death comes to town the new show i saw you guys on tour a few years ago super funny but how did you come back together after being apart like how do you make up with your collaborators and your friends when you've had like it sounds like a pretty serious i don't want to put words in anybody's mouth but i mean scott thompson and and dave foley weren't talking during brain candy yeah, no, Kevin and Dave weren't talking. Um, it's, well, we're in it for life, right? And it's, at certain times you need to go off and have, it's like when I have my family, we go on vacation. When we come home, they need two days on their own to, before they look in our eyes again. And <laughs> so I think we just needed to go off and have dinners and have people tell us we were great or stupid. And then just sort of slowly, like the weather, we came back. We came back to form it's just and we had to go off and do things and then go oh that wasn't so fun hey the troops fun wow we sold a lot of tickets in vancouver um so i think it you know and it's been a long life my god we you know 35 years now so it's just we you go away and come back we're not and i think that's we refresh ourselves that way do things feel cyclical to you at all i mean to be to be back with kids, to be producing a new show with Tall Boys, to be producing your own solo show and starring in your own solo show. Does it feel like things are repeating in new ways, like that you're getting another chance and learning more each time? How does it how does it feel? Oh, without question. It's it's a, the big wheel goes around and it's just it's going around again. You know, I went through a few years where I was mostly selling pilots for networks that didn't go. And then out of that started to do my own solo show, started to do a, a book and, and that became a TV show. And so the, the wheels just gone around again. And, you know, probably the biggest mistake I've, I've made in my life is think about my career a lot. It hmm. never helped. Um, and once I decided, I don't know at what age, maybe, you know, maybe when Scott got sick or whatever is that we're, we're blues musicians. Yeah. You know? I'm like, I remember when I saw Mavis Staples when she was 75 and she said, well, there's CDs for sale in the lobby. And it's like, I'm Mavis. I wish I was Mavis Staples, but it's like, you know, it's sort of the point of the documentary. I don't know. We're always going to make stuff until we can't. 
yeah. because some people can't because they're gone. So we, I, that I, we, I feel we owe, we owe to keep going and it's great to go around again. Um, Vance Banza, it's Vance Banza, right? Am I saying yeah. that right? Yeah. Okay. He is here on the Zoom and I'm gonna bring him in if that's cool. Right on. I don't wanna leave him waiting. No. So. Oh, he can get angry, man. <laughs> He's from Edmonton. Is he from Edmonton? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I love I'm from Edmonton. Wait, you're from Edmonton originally? I'm from Edmonton. Hi, Vance Banzo. Hey, We're hi, Bruce McCullough. How are you? Um, the Edmonton International Film Festival is on Movie Maker's list of the 50 film festivals worth the entry fee, which is our big list of good film festivals. And I used to wear an Edmonton um, Eskimos jersey everywhere I went when I was a kid. because I Yeah, you can't do that no more. Can't you do can't it. do that no more. Oh, because they're out of uh, production. You can't buy them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you just have to make your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Vance, I've been watching Tomboys. I actually hadn't seen it when I first, when, when people first, when your publicist first said, do you want to talk to Bruce McCullough and or the Tomboys? I was like, oh my God, I definitely want to talk to Bruce McCullough. He's, he's brilliant. He's a genius. And I hadn't seen Tomboys. And now I've seen Tomboys. And I laughed my ass off this weekend. It's really good. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm um, glad. How did you guys hook up? How did you come together? You uh, yeah, fuck. It was like, uh, yeah, we were at a party and I saw this guy standing in the corner. And <laughs> Alone. <laughs> no, we, uh, I was going to Humber College and um, I was in my second year and Bruce came in to teach some uh, sketch uh writing through improv uh so we just showed him some some solo sketches and then uh he came up and he helped us with uh to hone them and uh to create something new out of our ideas it was really really cool process and that's where i met bruce and then that summer i was uh sitting in one of his writing rooms it was pretty surreal yeah i yeah i saw him and i said that guy's amazing and then i remember somebody said he's got a troop you know and then i saw the troop and i was like fuck you guys are good because they did they did PSA, which is a very in-your-face in but hilarious thing about race. And then I think you did the stupid cancer sketch after after that. It's like, wow, they've got both things. And then, and then I talked to them, and it's like, you know, yeah. Well, there was a we tried a couple other things, but then we finally realized we should do a sketch show. But they were, I think you only had fifteen sketches or something at that point, Vance. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the bad news and we're like, well, you're going to have to write a hundred and uh, <laughs> you can't write them the way you were. So, yeah, because yeah, they would they would write through improv, which I understand the process. I'd actually lived through Scott and Mark writing things through improv, which meant it took up most of the rehearsal time, um, which was different than like Dave and Kevin just saying, just running their lines and then saying, yeah, we're ready. Um, and so the sheer ferocity of TV means you kind of got to get in your cubicle a little bit and go like what's what's funny like you just got to go faster in a way which they were really good at ultimately so the core group that we see now on fuse and on cbc if you're in canada um <clears throat> that's you it's the same four guys it's you four yeah yeah, that wasn't here. yeah no one's been replaced and no one's died like paul mccartney so and no there's no computer generated yeah. Frankly, was not computer generated. Yeah, and it's you know I'd had such a complicated but mostly wonderful experience with Kids in the Hall, was and I wanted to. I'm going to sound like a really nice guy. I'm not, 
but I wanted to give back. I wanted to, to have, you know, the guys have the experience of what it felt like to have your own show and learn these skills and to be able to go, I'd like to hire that person to do something. I'd like to do this scene. And, you know, and because I had somehow been given it and I don't even know if I appreciated it. The tall boy certainly appreciated it. Um, that's what I want. I want them to have their own show. And of course they do. Yeah. Um, I asked Bruce this question before, yeah. um, but Vince, I want to ask you, what do you, what do you think when people say that comedy is too difficult now because people are so easily offended or people are too sensitive or whatever? I mean, do you have a feeling on that? Uh, um, I think everything in comedy has already been done and we're just kind of spinning our wheels and repeating it and hoping nobody notices that it's already <laughs> just ripping off everybody else. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, as far as like people being offended and stuff like that, I mean, everyone, we're, we're in a world where, where we have to deal with one another. You know, people are going to have emotions about what you do, whether it's good or bad. And you just kind of have to ride the waves. But I have no real strong opinion on it. Yeah. Do you do you see comedy as a force for good or is it just a force for comedy? Well, all comedians are evil. Uh, I can tell you that. Uh, we're, <laughs> no, we're uh, force for good. I can it can be for both. Like it depends on the comedian. Uh, but I, I I like to do good with my comedy. You know, speak truth to power. I, learn. Yeah. Yeah. No, and Vance is a hilarious young person um but, and he's very thoughtful the truth is that the tall boys are very thoughtful when they you know i mean they're fearless but they also you know it's not like they're going to do something and not think about the other side of it especially when they're dealing with social issues that, that are really important to them they they'll take their time which is which is wonderful and then um and then they'll know what they're doing so but it's you know there's there's a kindness to them that is be, to the comedy for me that that is the kindness that comes from them and they are they're they're thoughtful so i don't think i'm sure they offend people but i don't i've never felt anything you did was offensive <laughs> yeah but i'm sure it's happened as well for sure <laughs> yeah no i totally agree with that. i find it like very kind and like self-deprecating if anything um like it's it's gentle is the wrong word because it makes you laugh but it's like there doesn't seem to be any meanness to it and one thing where I think you walked an incredible line is the PSA, where that's a sketch that includes the N-word pretty early um, and pretty, like, honestly, shockingly, but that's not really what the sketch is about. The sketch is almost about the rule of threes and how the fourth member of the group is throwing off the rule of threes and just being, like, left. I mean, am I misreading that sketch totally? It seems like it's almost a sketch more about logistics but it's masked as a sketch about very difficult racial issues. Yeah, um, I I, you're absolutely right. There's, uh, there's also the element of like how much, um, like <clears throat> the diversity, how there's not enough room when it comes to like the, the you gotta have one black person, one Asian person, one, one Hispanic person. We gotta just fill out those things. Like we're all like the, the same people, but it's like, that's not, diversity should be more than just what our skin color is you know that's I mean that's me almost looking too deep into it and I no I don't think so yeah but also for me the the thing that blew my mind when I first saw it is that it's actually a Pepsi ad 
yeah. which, <laughs> you know, it, it just spins it into like commer commerciality or, you know, Pepsi owns everything. Like it's, I don't know. It, I, I love the power of that crazy joke, but it's like, yeah, the people who own everything want to try to also do this. What? <laughs> well, it's like the shoehorned corporate, you know, diversity for the sake of like showing off your diversity as opposed to actual diversity where everyone is welcome and everyone has an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you two work together? What is it? What is the role of the executive producer of Tall Boys? Um, and do you do you ever? I don't know how how involved is Bruce? How how much do you guys do things on your own? How does it work? Yeah, we get uh, we kind of went to the Bruce McCullough School of Comedy here for a little bit, where we're just uh, he told us you know come in, uh, show up, have your coffee, have your chats, sit down. Uh, talk in the morning, talk about what's going on in the news, talk about what's going on in your life and see what comes out of that. And if it gets you laughing, then maybe you're onto something. So that's just kind of what we were doing uh, very first season. I remember those those days were very, before COVID, those, I, I didn't appreciate them enough, just sitting around <laughs> with your friends and just having a coffee and talking about what's going on in your life. And then eventually you have some senior writers come in and they listen to what's going on and it's like well I think that's a sketch here's where it could start maybe this is where the twist is and then you're like okay now I have that in my brain I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna go write that and that was just kind of what writing sketch comedy was before and uh like I said it was the best job in the world it's amazing yeah and it's it's sort of gunslinging it's like bringing the guys in and going well what are you thinking about you got anything you got anything well, it sort of bugs me. Bank machines sort of bug me. Oh, keep going. And then for me, my favorite thing is, you know, and I, I couldn't always do it and it wasn't appropriate for me to always be in on the pitches because you're your own entity and I'm, I'm just this other weird little man. But to be, to be in the pitches when a thing could go, you know, like Gulit says, guys who can dance are good at sex. And he thought it was a monologue. And I said, that's the, clearly the coolest dance piece we could do. And so for me and what I, you know, advanced, they're all, all the guys are very fast. Something is just like here. And then all of a sudden within three minutes, it's somewhere else. And, and, and they, they, they rise and then they die or they rise and they keep going. And so that's, that's how we work together. And it'd be like, Hey, don't, don't throw that one away. There is something there, you know? Yeah. And it's like for this last season, Vance had this hilarious idea about a, big spinning wheel that was like a show and the wheel just never stopped. And it was all the small talk of, uh, so how's your family? Well, I don't really have one. And then I, I just said, well, I think if it's spinning then it's gotta break off and go through the wall, right? And then I sort of was joking and then Vance wrote that. And then I had to figure out how to do it. So it's like, it's so fun to have you know, especially in the third season where you, you know what you're doing and you kind of have resources just to watch an idea go somewhere. And it can, it can, it doesn't have to be bigger. It could be smaller, but I think that's what I was my favorite thing with the guys is to be able to figure out where these ideas went and make, and go, no, 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 Alberta, don't go Vance. That's a great one. Don't let it go. You know? Yeah. And the freedom not to let go, which was really nice. You're like, we had this sketch called uh, cult. And we had it in first season and we had it there forever, all the 12 weeks and we just couldn't crack it. But there, there was no point where Bruce was like, all right, just got to get it out of here. He was just like, keep working on it. Keep, keep, pass it off to different writers. You know, let's see what happens here. It's a good idea. 
Where did you first meet? Was it in college? Yeah, yeah, Humber College. Well, I was, what, eight and watching CBC, and uh, he popped up on my television, and that's where I first met him, but. Oh, <laughs> but the, the tall boys, I mean, you must have all done different improv groups and stuff, or were you each other's first improv group? Like, how did you sort of come together? Yeah, uh, me and Tim went to college together. We went mm -hmm. to, to Humber College and uh, mm -hmm. we had an instant, chemi instant chemistry and we loved to work with one another. And he met Franco through the Second City when he was doing the, the house co there. And uh, Franco, very good friends with Gouled. And uh, we all knew each other because we we're like acquaintances through the stand-up community here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So we're all doing stand-up. We knew each other were. Do you want to start a troupe? Yeah, let's start a troupe. And, and then uh, we were just... It was a friend who was like, well, there's not enough diverse troops in the Toronto Sketch uh, Festival. Uh, do, Tim, do you want to start a troop? And he's just like, okay, well, I have these really funny uh, three other guys that I really want to work with. So and here it was. Wow. Yeah. And how long has it been from there to getting on air? And too short. Uh, it was. Uh, it felt. It felt like. Uh, like we're in rocket speed. We, yeah, did a couple of sketch festivals. We ended up doing a fringe festival, one best best comedy there. And then by the time, even I think even before we were doing around around fringe, you had already approached us and were like, "All right, let's get started on a show." So we were already getting prepped and ready to try to pitch to CBC. You know that whole sort of cliche about you have to make it in America before you can be big in Canada. Um, is that still true? I mean, with the internet, with, you know, people able to watch stuff on YouTube, does America still matter that much to you as a Canadian or are you just sort of in it to? Uh, I think for, uh, for me, I think it, it still rings true, especially where we come from, like the, our parent company, CBC. I mean, uh, Schitt's Creek wasn't huge here in Canada until it, it was huge in the States. I think the same with Kim's Convenience. And uh, same to be said about other shows. If 22 minutes blows up in the, in the United States, then I think everyone's gonna have 22 minutes fever up here, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just as an American, I, I sort of feel like, I always sort of feel like Canada has it figured out a little more than we do, um, that maybe you guys are having more fun than we are. Maybe you're taking some things less seriously, more seriously. Your balance often seems to be better than ours, um, but maybe I'm just romanticizing it as our neighbor. Um, grass is always greener. How do things how do things look to you from there? Uh, how do you mean? Sorry In terms of like, do you look at the U.S. and go like, oh Jesus, what a what a disaster that is over there, or is it like? No, that's to me. That's I, I've never lived there. Only seen from the other side. I mean, it's the mecca. You I mean you have your your berries, you have your Game of Thrones, <laughs> you have your HBO shows, and like it just it seems so big and shiny and, and wonderful over there. So you're just like, I hope I make it over there someday, and uh, I'm sure I'm gonna be uh, disillusioned uh, once I get there. <laughs> but, but right now, it's just it's it's America. I mean, it, I'm just a kid from the prairies. It's like wow, big and shiny. Wow. Um, and what's the what's the ultimate goal for both of you with Tall Boys and Beyond that? Well, just to keep making stuff, you know, I think that's that's all I've kind of learned. Just keep making stuff. And I've gotten in cul-de-sacs in my life where it's like, oh, Sony wants to do an overall deal with you. Oh, that sounds like a lot of money. Oh, I didn't end up making anything. Like for so for me, 
uh, it's making stuff. Um, and whatever that is, whether it be my little one man show or tall boys or kids in the hall or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, just, I guess I'm taking Bruce's advice here and just like following the joy, I guess that's kind of in my compass here, my true North for a little bit. Um, just not like what, what's next? Well, whatever, whatever is fun. And I'm sure whatever needs to happen will follow. Yeah. We're, we're doing a kids in the hall call. We're talking about the possibility of doing a second season. And then Dave Foley said, well, I'd like to maybe do one because it, it could be a lot of joy. It's like joy. Dave Foley has never used the word joy in his life. What the fuck? So I think that's, that's at least a good thing to strive for. And, you know, with tall boys, I had almost as much fun or have as much, almost as much fun as with anything, because I think they're, once they got, they weren't scared anymore of like, oh, I'm going to fuck it up. And then I don't know my words. So it doesn't matter. We'll just do, do another take. Like once they knew that they weren't, that, that they were the bosses, it was their show. Then I think it became really fun for them and really fun to work with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got, I, I, I'm, no, I'm over time at this point, um, but I should ask Kids in the Hall second season, so that may happen? It's possible. I mean, I think it's, it's being pretty well received and we, you know, we enjoy doing it. So, so we'll see. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much to our guests, Bruce McCullough and Vance Banzo, whose shows The Kids in the Hall and <laughs> Tall Boys can be viewed on... Amazon Prime and Fuse TV, respectively. There has to be a better way to phrase that sentence. Check out Tall Boys on Fuse TV or Fuse Plus featuring Vance Banza. And check out Kids in the Hall with Bruce McCulloch on Amazon Prime. Was that clear? I think it was. If you've enjoyed this, uh, please give us stars, um, likes, uh, things like that that will maybe enable us to get a caricature of ourselves for our desk at work um, or a finger trap or a waffle party uh, is this a hint about someone who might be a guest in the show pretty soon yes, yes it is um, or recommend us to a friend I'm Tim Moy from Movie Maker see you here and at moviemaker.com whenever you like thanks for listening